Backyard Green Films is proud to present this episode of Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Alara and her husband, Rick, travel throughout the land in their travel trailer, which they have nicknamed Bessie, bringing you stories about their travels and the people they meet. They visit farmers, ranchers, and just about anyone who loves putting their hands in the dirt or their feet in stirrups. For the past few years, they have been filming a documentary entitled The Holstein Dilemma, Heritage Breeds and the Need for Biodiversity, which will be coming out this fall. In those travels, they have gotten to meet some very interesting people. Here's one of those interviews. Hi, this is Alara. Welcome back to our podcast. It's near the end of September, which means that fall is here and winter is approaching. Okay, not here in Southern California, of course. We're still very much in the high summer realm as far as the climate goes. With that in mind, it's kind of hard to imagine that last year around this time, we were preparing to head back to New York, and we were packing thick sweaters and gloves to boot. I'd love a chill in the air, and New York in October is the place to get it, usually. The reason we were raiding our wool storage boxes was for an event that has become one of our favorites, the New York State Sheep and Wool Festival in Rhinebeck, known to many as the Sheep and Wool Festival. There's no way an event like this wouldn't appeal to me, as it has plenty of my favorite things. There are wondrous fiber arts everywhere, sweaters and mittens and scarves and hats and other knitted goods, colors and patterns, weavings and yarns, little felted animals in colorful rugs and looms, spindles and spinning wheels, livestock contests, fashion demonstrations, and people walking sheep and goats and camelids around on leashes just like you would walk a dog. Who wouldn't enjoy a llama parade and leaping llamas contest? I've been told that this event usually has about 45,000 people a day attending and it's run by about 15 volunteers. In the evening traffic last year, it took us two and a half hours to get home to the B&B, which was 17 miles from the Dutchess County Fairgrounds. It was worth every minute. Did I forget to mention the gorgeous sweaters you see on almost everyone? But this event is also rich in an agricultural content way. There were the camelids. That's llama, alpaca, guanaco, and vicuñas to most of us. And the spinners and the knitters and sellers. There was one interviewee that was all of those things and a shepherdess as well, if you remember Tammy White from Wing in a Prayer. Speaking of hardworking overachievers. As I mentioned before, we didn't hit escape velocity on the gravitational pull of the sheep barn until the second day at about 2 p.m. It was both exhausting and glorious. But the breed barns weren't limited to sheep, which is what brings us to today. Okay, at this point, I have to digress for a moment and talk about church. All of you are probably saying to yourself, wait a minute, where's this going? But stay with me a minute. I was raised in a household where every week we went to church. My folks weren't hardcore religious people, but they did keep the Sabbath from Friday evening to Saturday evening, mostly as a time where my dad could allow himself not to work, I think. But as long as the kids were living in the house or home from college, we were expected to be in church sitting in a row with the family at 11 o'clock every Saturday morning. They were also traditionalists in how you went to church. None of this jeans and sneakers kind of thing. We dressed for church, which included skirts and dresses, heels and coiffed hair. 
It was the one time where you actually felt like it was a special occasion and where you put a little more effort into looking like a better or tidier version of you. And that actually works. There's something about dressing up, in my opinion, that just makes you feel like standing a little bit taller. Okay, so you're probably now saying to yourself, yeah, I get that with the church thing, but where does the goat come in? This isn't one of those religious animal sacrifice things, right? You are correct. Definitely not that. I show my shallow nature by sticking with the important things I gleaned from my theological experience. Clothing and how good it feels to wear nice stuff. But I'll get there with a swerve left off the digression highway to take a side curve into the holidays. For Christmas one year, my mom splurged with a big present for all three girls in my family. You could see from the look on her face just how special this was to her and how much she was enjoying the present opening process. And when I put my hand inside the wrapping, I knew why. Inside lay the softest thing I had ever worn before or since. It was a classically simple design, tinted in a soft apricot color. The most perfect sweater ever. I was immediately and irrevocably in love. My sisters had their own as well in different shades, so I can only imagine what the Christmas budget was that year but it was worth every penny my parents spent, and I wore that sweater to death with a blissful feeling until the holes in it were too much to hide with further mending, and at which point I buried it respectfully and tearfully in a peaceful place in a yard. So here's where church and the goat merge back together. This wondrous piece of clothing became my absolute favorite thing to wear to church, which is one of the few places that called for dressing up. When I wanted to feel like I was 10 feet tall and snazzy to boot, I would put on my tailored wool skirt, my pearls, and my treasured cashmere sweater. I felt like Marilyn Monroe, Jackie O, and Lady Di all put together. And when you did get to church, it was one of those things that guaranteed that the good-looking guys and the not-so-good-looking guys would come over to you and give you a hug and try to pet your sweater where they could get away with it and flirt a little. At least until your dad gave him the look. Wow, I did feel like the cat's meow. And yes, there were sometimes three cashmere sweaters at church on that same day. And when we were all young, we were pretty much built like my mom, who was built a little like Jane Mansfield. So our church pew was definitely pretty popular at times. But the one thing that I didn't really think about when I wore that beautiful thing was the original animal source of my sweater. If you'd asked me, I would have said that it came from a very, very, very soft sheep. Huh. The ignorance of youth. Wrong. And here's where we come back to our interview in today's podcast. Cashmere is not from sheep. It's usually from a goat. A goat specializing in cashmere, that is. And it's not all the hair on the goat. It's usually that super soft part close to the skin. Unless you're talking about angoras, and that's an entire podcast in itself. Now, maybe all of you knew this stuff, but it was a shock to me when I finally realized that my fluffy fiber dreams were actually more like hairy ones. Ha! <laughs> we're bringing you an interview today from our time in Rhinebeck, this time with Pam Hendel of Hermit Pond Farm in central New York. She raises cashmere goats the animal that's responsible for the origin of the cashmere obsession. 
She's a very quietly witty lady who has a wonderfully educational booth in the goat barn. And she had a little kid there that I couldn't stop petting. And no, that wasn't as weird as it sounded either. The word cashmere, referring to fiber, is spelled with a C, by the way. And it's an anglicization of cashmere, the region in India which is spelled with a K. In honor of this place, we'll do a little musical tribute to Led Zeppelin at the end of our podcast. Okay, maybe not that last part, but some of you who are alive in 1975 or who have access to their parents' vinyl collection will get that reference and be very glad I refrained, lest I ruin something beyond salvation. I think if I'd known the origin of my beautiful sweater in my teenage years, I'd have been humming Led Zepp on Saturday mornings instead of Horatio Spafford. Peace comes to us in many ways, does it not? This year, the Sheep and Wool Festival has had to adjust a bit, just like the rest of the planet. The festival is still going full swing in 2020, and it's going to hit on October 17th and 18th, but it's virtual this year. Rick has been editing video clips from last year's event like mad, and he's posting almost daily to our YouTube channel at Backyard Green Films, so you can see this glory experience at Rhinebeck for yourself. You can also go to the festival's website and see everything they have to offer this year, so follow the link posted in the written podcast intro to sheepandwool.com. I must admit, this year I'm going to miss that feeling of sitting in traffic, smelling like sheep and goat and wool and sweat, just a little bit. But then, maybe by the time the festival's held in 2021, I can learn to knit so I'll have a scarf or a sweater to show off for myself. Or maybe, just maybe, I'll ask Rick to splurge on my Christmas present. Something in a soft apricot color. We hope you enjoy our interview with Pam Hendel of Hermit Pond Farm in New York. So if you would introduce yourself, please. Okay, my name is Pam Hendel. Um, I'm from Hermit Pond Farm here in the middle of New York State. Big ag state, but we haven't really, it is, it's yeah. not really thought of as a goat place, is it? Well, it isn't. Uh, we're, we're a small presence within New York State. Uh, there are quite a few sheep people in New York State, but uh, the goats are gaining ground. Uh, we have actually all kinds of goats here. The dairy goats, meat goats, and uh, a reasonable number of fiber goats, both angora goats and the cashmere goats. So while I would say it's not necessarily the first place I think of for goats, it is the no. first place I think of for sweaters in many cases. A good point, yeah. And so yeah. that leads me into cashmere from goats. Yes. yes. Now tell me about the goat that you raise and okay. what the whole concept of cashmere Which is cashmere all about. Cashmere is. Well, I raise cashmere goats, and uh, goats are the only source of cashmere. Um, they are kind of a hybrid animal, if you will. They're, um, they're mutts, actually. Uh, a mix of uh, goats that were in, in, in imported into this country from Australia about 30 years ago. Um, and they've been interbred extensively with the Spanish meat goats. And basically, they're, uh, any goat that produces uh, cashmere that is marketable, that is long enough and produces enough, can be considered a cashmere goat. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's yeah, not yeah. breed specific it's at all. It's not really a breed specific. There are some some um, efforts right now to define a new breed, uh, to have some very specific standards for cashmere goats. But but any goat in the world that, that produces cashmere can be considered a cashmere goat. And other goats can produce them. Dairy goats, meat goats, the boar goats produce a little bit of cashmere, but it's not long enough usually, and there's not enough of it for them to be considered cashmere goats. So it's the type yeah. of the the fiber and right. not 
the, the breed it comes not, from? Not exactly, exactly. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. Well, now yeah, I yeah. learned another thing from your yeah. great board up here. It says pashmina is not, is it, it's a marketing term. It's not a fiber or a weaving technique. Indeed, yes. So you were it, going about to explain <laughs> that one if you like. It is a very clever marketing uh, uh, term, and, and it's been very successful. Most often the pashmina shawls are, are made of cashmere or sometimes cashmere and silk blended. But there is no animal, no unique animal that produces anything you could call pashmina. Uh, yeah, I, you know, yeah. worked for the beef guys in the Angus. It's all yeah, that's beef, right. It's, <laughs> that's 51% right. black animal. It's an Angus. <laughs> it's an Angus. <laughs> okay, so now yeah. with these goats, I see yeah. these little guys. Are these yeah, babies these, here? These are babies. Yeah, yeah. These okay. two are—they're both little, little girls. They were born uh, in May, so they're about five months old right now. They will ultimately be more like about 100 pounds. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they, they've got a ways to go yet. They grow for about four years. So your mix. Yeah. Your preferred mm -hmm. mix, if you're mm -hmm. looking for cashmere, uh -huh. is Spanish or is... Well, the Australians brought in some good genetics. Yes. We brought in some good things from there. But, um, yeah, the Spanish meat goats have a lot of influence on the cashmere goats. Okay. And basically, we just we just breed for ones that have good production. They'll put out as much as possible, as well as a good length, because spinners do have difficulty with it if it's too short. Okay, so now, uh, I, I, Spanish goats are supposed to be pretty good with brush clearing and things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Does that impact it, your ability to get a good fiber out of them if you feed them brush? Oh, not at all. No, no. They love they love all kinds of uh, um, prickly, brushy, all kinds of weeds. So they're very great for clearing up brushy areas. I can't even yeah. imagine trying to to get fiber clear of whatever well, they might be in. I, I, you do have to be a little careful because if, if there's burdock around or other, other uh, sticky burrs, they will pick those up, and that is a little problematic, but uh, not too big of a issue. Now, how often do you, do I shear, do I shave, uh, what do I do to the goat? Well, you have a choice. You can shear them, and we used to do that. You know, 20 or 30 years ago, that was the preferred method. But now almost all of us comb. Um, I use a dog comb. looks like this. Simple. <laughs> and most people use variations on the dog combs. So what we do is we wait until they're starting to shed naturally, which could be anywhere from, from mid-January um, to late April. And when, they, when we see them starting to shed, then we can comb it out. It comes out very easily. And if you comb instead of shear, you get less of the guard hair mixed in with it. Because, of course, the cashmere is the undercoat, you know. It's not, it, what you're seeing here, well, on this particular goat, she has such short guard hair that, uh, I mean, this black stuff you see here, that's her guard hair. It's coarse, but the lighter color stuff is all her cashmere. That sounds like a fantastic idea. We yeah. have a, uh, a a white lab that we sometimes puppy sit for, uh -huh. and we have three baskets of oh, dog hair by the time the weekend ends. So this actually makes quite a bit of sense to yeah. me because it's coming out anyway. Right, right. Yeah, it's the same kind of thing. And if I don't if I don't comb it out, it'll end up on the fence posts and in the bird's nests and so forth. So, so is the yield yeah. the same, or is it just that the end is not clipped in the same way if you don't shear? If you don't shear. The yield, um, you'll get a much higher yield if with a comb fleece, because if you shear, of course, you have all the guard hair mixed in there. But, uh, yeah, and, and, if, and if the cashmere is at all short, then, then shearing, would, you know, you'll cut off a little bit of it. And you'll you lose have a to go and pick out the ends on every single thing yeah. you shear. <laughs> right. That makes perfect right. sense, actually. Right, so, it, it, and it's easier, on, on, it's easier on, on, on the animals, and I think it's easier on most of us to, to comb it out. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. now in terms of cashmere, tell me what kind yeah. of things are, 
things that obstacles that you might have to overcome as a farmer or that uh, you know the positives that you oh. really enjoy about it. both of those things oh, okay well it's 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 very satisfying um they they are a multi-purpose animal and we do raise them for meat as well but it is wonderful to have something else to be focused on and I do love uh, working with the fiber, even though I'm not an artist by any means. I don't, don't spin it or weave or anything with the fiber, but I like working with the people who do, and I like working to, to, to get the kind of fiber that, that really works well uh, for a fiber artist. So that part of it is very satisfying, and the animals are, are, are fun. They're, they're, they're goats, you know, they're kind of crazy, and they've got uh, very individual personalities, so that part's fun. Um, financially, it's very challenging. Because uh, even though there's a, there is a good market for cashmere and people want it, um, you don't get much off an animal. So you're, you're feeding and caring for an animal all year and you get four, five, six ounces off and then you send it off to be processed and you lose some of it in, that pro, you know, in the process of, the, of it being dehaired and so forth. So um, the payback for the cashmere itself is, is quite low. Yeah, so it's yeah. like most of other aspects of farming you have to have a second job or you have to yeah. have a first job to pay for the second job. I'm afraid so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah filmmaking is like that too. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> okay. So yeah. in terms of the, the things that it, it, that you might get from coming to a fair like this. Do you get exposure for your goats? Mm -hmm. Do you get a new market? How? Why, why do you that's, come here? That's primarily why I come. I, I like talking to people about them. And once in a bloom when I sell a goat or two here, which is nice, uh, but mostly I talk to people about them. And you know, they may come back in a few years. Uh, and, and if nothing else, they've learned where cashmere comes from, which is which is kind of nice. I have to say, I <laughs> just stepping in this booth, mm -hmm. I learned quite a few things. And you, you mm -hmm. have a great Good. setup here and really educational. This is really important. Because we yeah. have many different sources of fiber, and right, right. I mean, a lot of us, me, are, yeah. we're very ignorant about. Cashmere is a good one, you know. The, it, it's a delicate fiber in a way. It's certainly very, very fine, but it wears like iron. So if you can get get to the point where you can afford a cashmere sweater, you'll have it for decades, Wonderful. which is nice. <laughs> so well, thank you so much. Oh, and you name of your farm again? Hermit Pond. Okay, so yeah. if people want to find you, where do they go? Uh, uh, I do have a website, hermitpondfarm.com. Uh, uh, and that's Wonderful. also my Gmail. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. We thank you for it. talking to me. Yeah, I appreciate it. I have to recommend a book to you here, especially if you're a fiber person or a livestock person or if you like sweaters or if you're even slightly interested in history, animals, breeds, or anything else related to textiles or if you're thinking of investing in a really pricey sweater or suit coat and really want to know what's the best fiber to use. This book is just plain interesting and is nightstand reading for me. Anyway, it's from Story Publishing and it's called The Fleece and Fiber Sourcebook. More than 200 fibers from animal to spun yarn. And it's written by Deborah Robson and Carol Icarius. Sheep, goats, alpacas, llamas, vicuñas, camels, bison, musk oxen, yaks, horses, dogs, wolves, cats, rabbits, foxes, possums, chinchillas, and probably a few others I missed. And no, I am not making those up. There are world maps on the front and the back showing where the animals originated, and the first 30 pages or so are dedicated to giving you some of the basics of the fiber world. Definitions of things like crimp, loft, and fleece. There's an explanation of the itchy factor and wool allergies, and that measurement system using the micron count and what it's all about anyway. For each of the 200 animals and breeds listed, they have a few pages talking about the history and the uses of the animal. 
They include pictures of what the animal looks like in the field, and they also show a page for each with close-ups of the fiber at its various stages. Raw fiber, roving, yarn, in different plies or twists, and little squares of how the fiber looks when it's knitted or woven. There are summaries of the characteristics of the fibers, like the fleece weight or staple length, with the natural colors. It's definitely more like a coffee table book than a paperback, and it's priced accordingly. But when I want to find out the difference in a sweater made from Gotland and one made from a Navajo churro sheep, this is my book. That was my attempt at a fiber joke, by the way. You really don't want to confuse those two if you're buying a sweater. It's also great if you want to knit something from the copious amounts of dog hair you collect and want to see the difference in knitted squares between a corgi, border collie, and Belgian turvern dog. Come on now, don't tell me we all haven't wanted to know about that one. This is Alara, with my dear husband Rick patiently recording me as I sit in the padded room. He says it's for sound quality, but I never really know. We love to bring you this podcast every week. We visit places all across the country and even a few places outside the U.S. We'd love to keep doing this as long as we can, but holy cow, gas is expensive. So, we've started up a Patreon account. If you'd like to help be a part of the stories you hear, we'd love your support, feedback, and suggestions. If you'd like to make that financial support, please follow the Patreon links in our podcast intro for more information. Every little bit is another mile we can put on the road to bring you the conversations we hope you enjoy. We want to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. We would like to thank Pam from Hermit Pond Farm in New York for joining us today. If you'd like more info about Pam and her goats, please visit her website at hermitpondfarm.com. Also, please visit and support the 2020 Virtual New York State Sheep and Wolf Festival. As you know, the pandemic this year has been hard on everyone, but especially public events such as this one. You have been listening to Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Please tune in for more upcoming episodes from our travels. I'm Rick Bowman, your behind-the-scenes editor. Until next time. This has been a presentation of Backyard Green Films Productions, all rights reserved, copyright 2020.